It was uh, great that Joel started off uh, this morning by talking about stories, how that each of us here have our own story, and, uh, and that's true. And we're going through uh, a new series in our preaching um, starting today and uh, looking at the story of, of one person, that's Daniel, and how he was called to be countercultural, to go against the norms and the values and beliefs of the society that he found himself in. And we're going to look at some stories, some well-known stories, Daniel in the lion's den, the fiery furnace, some of these kind of things. But as we look at these stories, I want to really encourage you to do two things. Firstly, consider what it is about Daniel that made him unique and made these stories special. Because we're going to spend a few weeks walking in Daniel's shoes, walking along with him. And uh, what can we learn from uh, the things that happened those years ago? But more than that, when we hear stories, be it Daniel's testimony or our own testimonies and stories that, uh, that we share, let's look to see what does that tell us about God? What does it reveal about him? I think if we share the stories and encourage each other, that's one thing, but I think we miss out on a lot if we don't really consider what is it about God's nature. And as we look through this, uh, this next series uh, of being countercultural and look at Daniel, keep asking yourself, what is it about God that's being revealed through what we are reading and learning about? Let's pray. God, I pray that right now that you open our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, thank you that we can be together in this place to worship you to hear from you, and Father, allow us to let you speak in our lives in real and deep ways and reveal more about who you are. Amen. So have you ever been anywhere where you felt um, a little bit uh, out of your depth? Uh, Perhaps in a workplace, perhaps travelling overseas, perhaps uh, first time meeting uh, some new people, Uh, perhaps being called into a meeting that you didn't really feel adequately prepared for or wherever it might be, but you felt out of your depth. And I can imagine that that's how it would have been for Daniel. Daniel was uh, a young boy. Um, We don't know exactly how, how old. Some people might say anywhere between about 12 and 15, when he was amongst exiles who were taken from Jerusalem into captivity in Babylon. And I can imagine that he would have felt very much out of his depth in this very strange place. To understand some of the background of all of that, I want to um, just go through a little bit of Bible history and uh, understanding about uh, the times and the culture because I think it plays an important role as we go through and understand a bit more about Daniel. So uh, I do have a timeline that's a little bit hard to see. Cameron, if you could throw that on the screens. Um, but the main part is that Daniel, in the centre screen here, is a book that is down towards the bottom of the screen. This is the book of Daniel there. You can't read that from where you are, but that's what it is. So you get the idea where it fits into the Old Testament history of the Bible. We've got our early Bible stories of Noah and Abraham and um, Uh, captivity in Egypt and the exodus of Moses and so forth towards the top of the screen and we move down then to the stories of David and 
uh, the kings of Israel. And um, we come down here to uh, some of the minor prophets in Daniel. On the side screens, it's a little bit clearer. You can see the, uh, the blue uh, circle or oval around Daniel there. But it's around the time that there was an exile of the people of Jerusalem into Babylon. They were taken over by the Babylonians and, um, and brought into, uh, into their city in captivity. They were there for 70 years. So um, that just gives you an idea of whereabouts this happened. Now, the um, exile, sorry, the uh, captivity actually happened in 1605 BC. Sorry, 605 BC. So about 600 years before the birth of Christ. So that's where it happened. Can we go to the next screen? Uh, thanks, Cameron. So uh, a little bit easier to see. But the story of Daniel itself goes over almost that time of that exile, about 70 years. And I want to point out a few things in regards to that, because when we read through Daniel and we turn from chapter to chapter to chapter, we can assume that from one chapter to the next is like the next day or the next week. But in some circumstances, it's many, many years between chapters. For example, there's about 30 years between the end of chapter 4 and the start of chapter 5. And we just keep on reading as though it happened just uh, the very next thing. So Daniel was in Babylon and he actually served under three different rulers of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was the king who uh, overtook Jerusalem and brought the captives, captives back in uh, 605. Stories around that, um, we're going to read chapter 1 shortly and hear about that. But uh, the golden statue and the fiery furnace stories are all in that Nebuchadnezzar time. And that finished with uh, another story that we'll hear a little bit later on about um, uh, judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. And we then have another king, Belshazzar, um, take over. And a famous story there is the writing on the wall. Um, but between, can we just go to the next one? That's it. So between those two stories, Nebuchadnezzar's judgment and the writing on the wall, that's that 30-year period. Um, and then we go into another ruler, Darius, who was a governor under um, Cyrus, who was king of Persia. And uh, we have the story of Daniel in the lion's den. So between when Daniel was taken into captivity and the story of the lion's den is almost 70 years. And I want to point that out to you because it shows a really important thing about Daniel, and I'll come to that a little bit later on. So you got the idea of whereabouts this fits into the Bible history and the fact that the stories in a couple of chapters of Daniel actually go over quite a number of years. That's the first six chapters of Daniel. The rest of Daniel is taken up with some dreams and prophecies and visions that he had. Some of those actually occurred during this time, but they're recorded at the end of the book. So it's not a book necessarily written in chronological order. There's a purpose for me telling you all of this, not just a history lesson, and we'll come to that shortly. So I want to just uh, help you understand a little bit about the culture of Babylon. This is the city that they were taking captivity in. The first mention of Babylon is actually in Genesis chapter 11, um, many, 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 many years before the story of, of, uh, of Daniel. And now let's have a look at that. You may know the story of the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. Then they, the people, said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves, 
Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, that city um, is Babylon. The tower was called the Tower of Babel. And a few things really stand out in this, that the city was founded by people who wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to build a tower in this city that would reach up to the heavens so that people would look at that and see them and not be honouring God. They wanted to place themselves in a position of equality with God and focus on them and their achievements to draw people's attention to themselves. They didn't want to be scattered across the lands. They wanted to stay together. The reason for that is because they wanted to indulge themselves and find pleasures and build a place where they would be comfortable and enjoy life and all of the things that it could provide. So that was, I guess, the philosophical basis for the founding of this city and this tower that they were wanting to build. We continue to read. God wasn't really pleased with the idea. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people they are speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, go to, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. Now, in, uh, in the ancient language, Babel means confusion. The Tower of Babel was a place of confusion. The word Babylon comes from that as well. Confusion. But in its time, Babylon was a very impressive city. Archaeologists tell us that it was possibly the largest city in the world at that time with a population of about half a million. It was a city that was one of the ancient wonders of the world. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, architecture, they were strong with maths and engineering and literature. They were a very, very advanced place and no doubt overwhelming for a young boy who was taken there in captivity. Babylon, keep in mind, stands for making a name for yourself, reaching for the stars, being taller than everybody else, even God. And that's where the real confusion lies. Babylon was what's called a polytheistic society, poly meaning many gods. And uh, one archaeologist says there were possibly 1,197 temples in Babylon. There was a God for every purpose, for every reason, for every need they invented and created a new God. It was all about their needs and how they could um, fulfill those needs without looking to the true God. So no matter how impressive Babylon seemed, as people of God, we've got to remember we have to maintain our distinctiveness and loyalty to the one true culture, one true God. And Daniel did that. So the people were taken into captivity. The first thing I want to point out about that is when we're looking at the screen, we saw that Daniel remained faithful to God, even in captivity, over a long period of time. I think he knew the truth that Jesus spoke many years later where Jesus said, I am the vine, 
You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we know the key events in the story of Daniel. We don't know all the little things that happened in between. But what we do know is that Daniel must have remained in God. His faith must have been strong. Christian author and speaker John Lennox says, It's not remarkable that Daniel maintained his faith, but in the midst of where he was, he was still a public witness. He was being counter-cultural. He was salt and light in the midst of this city whose desire was simply to promote themselves. Daniel served kings with bad tempers. The kings would say, if this doesn't happen, then this person will be beheaded. If this doesn't happen, then such and such will be the consequence. Yet Daniel didn't compromise. He remained totally loyal to God and had total credibility. Meanwhile, while he was living in Babylon, Jerusalem was lying in ruins. Life as he knew it was gone and would never be the same. He still remained faithful to God. And I know that for some of you people here, circumstances have changed in life. And it's never the same. It could be through illness or accident or separation or even death. Unexpected turn of events. Life will never be the same. Yet Daniel, in those sorts of circumstances, remained faithful and loyal to God and produced fruit that Jesus talks about in John 15. And I believe Daniel's faithfulness to God is still producing fruit today as we take time to study his life. But why were the people in captivity? Why did that happen? It's a very simple answer. God allowed it to happen because they weren't worshipping him. They weren't honouring him. And despite time and time again, God sending messages and prophets to people to say, turn back to me. What you're doing is not right. I want that relationship. I desire that relationship with you. They were being ignored. So finally, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to overthrow Jerusalem. We read a prophecy about this in Jeremiah. I will completely destroy you and make you an object of horror and contempt and a ruin forever. I will take away your happy singing and laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard. Your millstones will fall silent and the lights in your homes will go out. This entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But it wasn't just about punishment. God wasn't out to get the people of Israel because they weren't worshipping him, because they were following idols, because they were living an evil life. He wasn't out to get them. He wanted to stop them and turn them around and bring them back to him. And that's what we learn about some of the character of God. He's not a punishing God. He's righteous and he will judge. But more than anything, he desires a relationship with us to restore us. And sometimes he's just got to put the brakes on and saying, what you're doing is not the right thing. You're moving away from me. The direction you're heading is not good. Stop. And for the entire nation of Israel, that was that captivity. 
Also in Jeremiah, we read about a glimmer of hope. God reveals to Jeremiah a dream or a vision of two baskets of figs. And in one of the baskets, the figs are good and healthy, not too bad at all. The other, they're rotten. And God explains what that means. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The good figs represent the exiles I've sent from Judah to the land of the Babylonians. I will watch over them and care for them. I will bring them back again. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them their hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. So that was God's desire, to stop the people in their tracks, give them time to think about what it was they were doing, and return to him wholeheartedly. The Ten Commandments, the first one, you shall have no other God before me. The second one, you shall have no idols. The Israelites weren't living that way, and they had to be stopped in their tracks and brought back to God. He wanted to create in them a hunger for him, a real desire that they would have for him in their heart, not just going through religious motions. We read in Ezra, another prophet who was around in that time, what happened when the people finally went back after 70 years and they found the place in ruins. And the very first thing they wanted to do is rebuild the foundations of the temple. That was what they were drawn to. And when they had the foundations built, this is what Ezra says. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. Remember, in the prophecy about going to Babylon, God said there will be no more singing. Now they're back. Their hearts are right with God and they're singing again. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. These are people who have been 70 years in captivity, singing, God is good. His love for us endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundations. Others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. So God restored their love for him and their joy in him. And it's significant that idolatry was no longer a major temptation to Israel after that time in Babylon. But from Daniel's perspective, he didn't know all of this was going to happen. He was away from all he knew, in a foreign land, foreign gods, foreign culture, and must have wondered how could God allow that. But I guess he knew of the prophecies. He didn't know the outcome, but he could see God's word was being fulfilled. Even though for Daniel it was being fulfilled in a painful way. But he could still rejoice in the fact that God kept his word. Seeing the scripture come true is something that can bring joy in our life. 
So that gives a little bit of background to you about the nature of the city, what happened at the time, why it happened, what was the result of the exile in in Babylon. But let's now focus on Daniel in chapter 1. Let's read through the first few verses. During the third year of King King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now these sacred objects, they're referred to in other parts of the book of Daniel as cups and bowls, have significance. They're mentioned early in the book because they're symbols of the temple of God and the place where they worshipped God. And the fact that they were brought back to Babylon is significant because it shows the total destruction of, of Israel, of Judah, not just the city, but they actually went into the very sacred places, into the temple, and just raided that, and uh, showing total disrespect for the God of the, uh, of the Israelites. So in a sense, not only have the people been brought back to uh, Babylon in captivity, but God's been brought back to captivity too, is what the Babylonians are wanting to let people know. And placing those vessels from the temple in the Babylonians' God's treasure house added to the sense of domination and hopelessness that the people of Israel would have had. I guess it was like putting them in a museum display. And uh, as people would see those, saying, well, this is what we got from this conquest. This is what we've captured here. We've captured these things from the Israelites' God. Um, We've had total domination over them. But the cups come back in chapter 5 to bite the king of Babylon. Cups can bite. They caused his downfall, and we'll hear about that in a few weeks' time. Because he used them to totally insult and disrespect God. Our attitude towards God is important. We must always have one of respect, even if we don't know what's going on. Even if we feel like we're in captivity or in a foreign land, we must maintain our correct attitude and respect towards God. Daniel did that, even to the point of risking his life. Let's read on in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other nobles who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're all well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, 
Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. The aim was to assimilate these young people into the culture of Babylon. They would learn the literature, they would eat the food, they would go by Babylonian names, they would become citizens of Babylon. The king wanted to start with quality people to teach them the new language. They had to be people who were clever and handsome and strong so that they would become wonderful models of what a Babylonian person should be like. The desire was to change their identity and make them all the same as the other Babylonians. Do you ever feel that pressure from our current society to change, to lose your identity, to become what's commonplace in the world? Do you ever feel that pressure to water down Christianity or your own beliefs and values? and take on the beliefs and values of those around. What might be acceptable now wasn't common practice many years ago. Where might things continue? Not even the politicians know. But under the pretense of being enlightened or being politically correct, we can find that Christian faith and values are eroded. And this is where we have to be countercultural to know what it is that we have to stand up in our culture, where to say no, where to draw the, draw the lines. And if we don't have our identity in God, then we don't have a basis on which to stand. In John 17, Jesus urges us to be in the world, but not to be of the world. This is where we need to know what we believe. Even the names that were given to the captives are significant. The names that they all had, their Hebrew names, either ended in E-L or I-A-H. And the end of those names in the Hebrew language linked them with the name of Israel's God. So their names in Hebrew said they belong to God. Daniel's actually means God is my judge. I'm responsible and accountable only to God. What I do really only matters to him, not to other people. So because their names pointed to God, and the aim of the Babylonians was to assimilate them into their culture, they gave them identities that excluded God. The new name that Daniel was given, Belteshazzar, is linked to that of a Babylonian god. It means may Bel, one of, his, one of their gods, protect his life. What a change. What a change. From Daniel, God is my judge. I'm accountable to him. He's the one I look to. To this idol is my protector. It was interesting to note that Daniel, the name Daniel is mentioned 66 times in the book of Daniel. The name Belshazzar is mentioned eight times. And five of those times it's in this context. Then Daniel, 
also named, known as Belshazzar, did blah, 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 blah. So he was referred to as Daniel, also named, uh, known as Belshazzar. There was one mention of that new name when the king actually gave him the name. And there were only two other occasions in the, all of the book of Daniel where he's referred to as Belshazzar. And they were when the king who gave him the name was speaking to him. The name didn't stick. The name didn't stick. That's the point I'm trying to make. There was no way that Daniel would turn from being accountable to God to putting his trust in an idol. And I think that's a really key point for us to know too. If we're going to be countercultural, if we're going to be salt and light, we must make sure that we identify with God. And who we are in God sticks. Who we are in God is seen clearly. So in a sense, the whole tale, sorry, the whole idea of this assimilation is a tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon. Jerusalem stood for God. Even though the people had turned away from God, it was known as the centre of worship for God. And even today, people make pilgrimages to go to Jerusalem for this purpose. Babylon stood for self-promotion. I will make a name for myself. I'll live a life of indulgence and self-gratification. But the question for Daniel was not, what city do I live in? Because he didn't have any choice. The question for him was, what city do I live for? Not city, what do I live in? What city do I live for? Either I live for Babylon and make a name for myself or I live for God and trust in him. Daniel made that choice. I live for God. The next challenge Daniel had was the food the king provided. In verse 8 we read, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he he responded, I'm afraid of the Lord my king who ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel made a deal with him and said, can we trial it for 10 days? I'll just eat fruit, vegetables, only drink water for for 10 days and see how I compare to the other people. And if it's not so good, then I'll do what you want. But the issue with the food was that it had been dedicated to the Babylonian gods and idols. And so for Daniel to partake in eating of that food, it would be to recognize those idols as God. You shall have no other God before me. It was a supreme test of faith in God. They obviously had to eat something, but Daniel didn't want to defile himself by eating that which was served to God. He would learn the literature. He would learn the language. He would do what he could to understand the culture, but he would not feed from the culture. He would not allow it to be his source of nourishment. He didn't want to be recognized as part of that culture. 
He wanted to stay recognised of one of God's people. The chief of staff was concerned with how things might look. If you're wanting to build a name for yourself, that's what you're concerned about. Well, how does that look? I want to promote myself. I've got to make sure I look right and do the right kind of things. He was concerned about image, not identity. The chief of staff, understandably, was caught up in the philosophy of Babylon, make a name for yourself. But if that's all we're trying to do, then image is all important. And even as Christians, as we're wanting to be salt and light and stand up and be countercultural and we need to make a stand, we can be fearful about how that might be perceived. What might people think of me? Will I look foolish? Will they listen? Will they mock me? Will they give me a hard time? That's all about image. And if we know that our identity is in Christ, we don't have to worry about that image. The outcome. Well, when the training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief of staff brought all the young men to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Note that they're using the original names. (laughs) So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. So Daniel, being faithful to God, not taking on the identity of Babylon, being a little bit game and bold, has found himself in a most powerful place where he and his friends are now those who advise the king, those that the king turns to. What an amazing position for them to be in. If we're going to be countercultural, if we're going to stand up for God, we too have to make sure that we never, ever lose our identity. We know who we are in God. So what's in all of this for you? What's in all of this for you? If you're going to be countercultural, be salt and light, who you are is vital. Your character is essential. If your actions and behaviours and thoughts are exactly the same as everybody else's, then how is this a light or salt that draws attention to God? For Daniel, I think it can be summed up in two words. No compromise. No compromise. Showing my age a little. There was an amazing singer in the 80s, Keith Green, and one of his albums was called No Compromise, and that's the album cover from No Compromise. And there you see a person refusing to bow down, making a stand, even though it could mean life and death. We'll read a bit more about that in Daniel. It was hard, but I resisted the temptation to actually play the song. 
So I thought, well, I'll wear the Paisley shirt anyway, sort of. <laughs> but what does this teach you about the nature of God? What have you learned about God this morning? What's been a, a new uh, realisation or a reminder to you? That he desires that we'll be in a right relationship with him? Even to the point of doing drastic things. That he's patient with us when we fail. How good is that? How good is that? God is patient with us. That he'll bring us back to him when we stray. These are just amazing things to know about God. That he rescues us. That he protects us. That he honours us when we honour him. That he fulfills his word. That he loves us. That he wants to be friends. These are amazing things that we learn about God as we look through this history and these stories. I want to give you, though, a few moments to think about the kind of things that perhaps have stood out to you in this message, though. I'll get Luke and Sandy to come forward. In a moment, I want to give you just a quiet time of prayer and reflection as uh, we just hear that beautiful tune of a good, good father. What a great reminder to us. But I wonder what stood out in your mind. Is it about the need for respect for God? The Babylonians didn't show that respect by taking those cups from the temple. I wonder, do you feel in your life that you are uh, respectful when it comes to God? I wonder if it's about the food. Daniel didn't want to eat the food. It would defile him. Are there things that you do that you think, it's not quite right? And perhaps, in a way, you're doing things that are defiling or unclean. Maybe something about the name stood out to you. The name of Babylon, confusion. Confusion because there were so many gods. Confusion that they were promoting themselves and not following God. Maybe there's some aspect of confusion in your life. Maybe you've been too busy making a name for yourself and not really wanting to glorify God. Maybe it's about your identity. Not being firm enough in God to stand up when it's counted. Maybe there have been compromises, taking little shortcuts, things that you shouldn't do but you know you are. Or maybe it's the fact that there's no song of joy in your life. When the people were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, the Bible says there wouldn't be songs of joy. When they returned, they were. Maybe you don't have that song of joy. Maybe like the Israelites, you've lost your heart for worship and you need to return to God. Maybe you're too influenced by the culture around you and not being an influence on them. Perhaps it's just that you're in a foreign land and you feel out of your depth. But whatever it is, just take some time as we hear this music now and consider 
where you are with God, what you want to say to God, what he's saying to you.